All right. Good morning, Emmaus. If you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 11. So we will get to Matthew chapter 11 here in just a, just a few minutes, but the day is our eighth element of the fruit of the Spirit. Eight out of nine. So today we begin to talk about gentleness, what it looks like to live out that gentleness as the people of God. And Matthew 11 is going to be the spot we'll turn to here in just a little bit. A couple of resources that might be interesting to you as we think about this study of gentleness, two resources that have been helpful to me and I just wanted to put them in front of you. There's one by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly, the Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And that resource, probably more than any, has helped guide my research and thinking for this morning. There's also another great book called A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them by Scott Sauls. This is a book about in a world that's so polarized and we are taught to argue and debate and yell and push everything to the extremes. How do you live as a gentle people, a people of Jesus in a world like this? And Scott Sauls is is a good resource on that. If you ever miss, miss anything that shows up on a screen like this or you're watching at home and you miss something, just send me an email. I'll send you all the slides, all the resources. Don't ever feel pressure, and I never want this to become a distraction. I want it to be a help to you. And so if you miss something, just catch me afterward or send me an email, and I'll send you whatever. But, but these are two resources that have been really helpful for, for me and I think would help us to think about gentleness this morning. This morning, instead of having a church member video for for reading the scripture, I want to introduce you to a missionary this morning that you may not know. Jim Liu earlier was talking about our church's involvement in local missions, and Jim helps us to think about missions here around us in our neighborhoods, but also missions to the nations with the International Mission Board and several other groups that we work alongside. One missionary that you may not know is a gentleman named George Lill. Now, before William Carey, before Lottie Moon, before Adoniram Judson, before some of these famous missionaries we think about, George Lill was very likely the first ordained African-American Baptist pastor in America, and very likely was the first Baptist missionary to go out from the United States. George Lill was born in 1750, And then in 1773, at the age of 23, became a follower of Jesus. Two years later, was ordained to the ministry, and then through a series of circumstances, found himself in Jamaica, where he led hundreds of people to faith in Jesus and established churches in Jamaica, and actually was on the forefront of leading to the abolition of slavery in Jamaica. And I want you to hear a video where a couple of pastors talk about the life of George Lill. Listen for this theme of faithfulness that we talked about last week, and then I'm gonna pray for us, and we're gonna get right into God's word this morning. Watch this video. George's story has been encouraging to me in the sense of his faithfulness in spite of. When you think about all the adversity, all the the societal burdens and oppression and marginalization that he was up under, yet he was still faithful to the Lord's commandment to go ye therefore and make disciples. It's from his direct discipleship that other churches, and not only America, but Canada, uh, are impacted because of his faithfulness to Jesus in a period of time really where it would have been easy for him and many would not have even blamed him for just kind of pulling back and not being so 
uh, passionate or, or, or being so um, outspoken ab about Jesus, especially from this former enslaved person, he was still faithful. It is out of his passion for Jesus Christ and his love for the kingdom that he, he goes and he plants churches and he understands that he has, a, uh, he has been called to announce the kingdom of heaven, that it has come and that uh, no matter if you are enslaved or not, that, that Jesus has come for you. And then he goes to Jamaica and even plants churches amongst the enslaved population there. It's his faithfulness in spite of his passion because of to the uttermost parts of, of the world in the sense of he is specifically raised up for such a time to preach the gospel to the marginalized and the oppressed, the ones that, uh, that the majority of, of America really weren't, weren't thinking about. The gospel frees a person. You can be in slavery, but you can come to know the Lord because the gospel is a message of freedom. I grew up as a, Southern, a black Southern Baptist in the North. That's my story. And in the midst of all of this my entire life, I had never heard about him. Wow, this was there all the time and, and just no one was telling the story. The very embodiment of the least of these one who wouldn't have had a major voice. As a matter of fact, one who would have suffered the abuse of uh, the society being enslaved, the one who didn't have any particular power, any particular uh, stage, or he had no glory unto himself, but yet God just used his faithfulness uh, to do an awesome work. And uh, what that reminds us of is no matter who you are or where you come from, if, if, if the Lord has a calling upon your life, He will use you in spite of situations and circumstances um, for His kingdom purposes. So the story is really just really beautiful of, of the potential and the possibilities when it comes to kingdom work. Because this world looks, as the Bible talks about, on the outside of an individual to see whether they, uh, their words should be accepted or whether they should be put up front. But the Lord is looking at a person's heart. So uh, we really see the heart uh, of, of, of George in his desire to make disciples and be faithful to King Jesus. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, thank you for that incredible story of your work through George Lill, uh, someone that frankly, I'd never heard of until just a few weeks ago, and the incredible power of your kingdom. So many people whose names will never be known on this earth, will never be famous in the ways that we think of as famous, but God, whose lives are lived for your kingdom. And Father, I pray that that would be true of us here at Emmaus. God, that we would be faithful to what you have called us to. And God, show us this morning from your word what it means to be a people who shared the gentleness of Jesus with the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So no matter who you are, no one likes to be misrepresented. Uh, maybe you've heard somebody talk about your job before, and they explain your job, and you say, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. That is not actually what I do. Or, or someone talks about an action that you've taken, and you think, oh, man, that just, that just doesn't match the intent of my heart. That doesn't match what I was trying to do in that situation. When you think about someone being misrepresented, 
Who is misrepresented more in our world than Jesus Christ? You think about the way that Jesus is portrayed for political power, or the way that Jesus is portrayed on social media or on entertainment shows, or the way that Jesus is portrayed in false teaching, or the way that Jesus is just portrayed by someone who takes the name Christian but are just so cold and lethargic and apathetic about it. But thankfully, we have places in Scripture where Jesus speaks for himself. And one place in particular where Jesus represents to us, explains to us what his heart is all about. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Look what happens here. Or verse 29, I'm sorry. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. When Jesus wanted to speak to people about who he really was, what he was really like, and when we think of heart, it's not just emotions, but heart is the core of who he is, what drives his life, what he is all about. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That term gentle in the Greek language, the original language there of the New Testament, that same word is used in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, where, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, meek, and gentle, same word. Matthew 21, talking about Jesus coming in Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Gentle, meek, humble. All the same words, all the same ideas there. Now, if we're not careful, immediately when we think of gentle and humble, we might have a negative idea come to our mind. It might not strike us as necessarily a good thing. Let's talk for a second before we get into what gentleness is. Let's talk about what gentleness is not. Because people hear that Jesus is gentle and lowly and meek, and if we're not careful, our mind goes to that famous or infamous painting of Jesus that hung in a lot of churches with flowing blonde hair and blue eyes and just seems very passive. What does it mean for Jesus to be gentle? Well, gentle and meek is not weak or passive. It's not this idea of permissiveness or everything goes because Jesus stood for righteousness and Jesus proclaimed justice and Jesus was about being able to advance the kingdom of God. And so gentleness doesn't mean weak or passive, but it definitely does not mean arrogant or assertive, or, or always being overbearing or insisting on one's own rights. The opposite of gentleness would be a person who is consistently trying to run over others, bulldoze others, use others in order to advance in life. So what is gentleness? Philippians 2 is so helpful in this regard. Think about those famous verses from Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Gentleness prefers and seeks the best of others. How do we know what that looks like? Jesus. Matthew, or Philippians 2.5 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. 
Those verses are probably the best description, the best illustration of gentleness that we find in the New Testament. This idea that Jesus had all power. And when we think of power, we think of using power to throw it around and get your own way. But but what's power all about? To protect and serve. The power that we have that is laid down in order to be able to serve others. That's the way Jesus approaches the power that he has being fully God and yet using that in a way to serve others. And Jesus' power didn't push people away from him, but actually caused him to draw near to people. The power that Jesus had wasn't a power that put people off, but a power that said, I'm going to draw near to those who need me the most. Gentleness, don't miss this, gentleness is about being accessible and approachable and warm and caring. That is the spirit of Jesus. That is the way that Jesus operates in the world. But you might be saying, wait, wait, okay, that's good, Owen. I I get that, but don't forget that Jesus put together a whip and and went into the temple um, and turned over some tables and proclaimed judgment on groups of people. Like, that doesn't sound sound particularly gentle. What do you make of that? Well, go back to Matthew 11 and and look at how Jesus describes the people who experience his gentleness. Matthew 11, 28, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Jesus went into the temple with a whip and turned over the tables, and even in the verses just before this in Matthew 11 where he proclaims judgment on those, who is he talking about? Those who have pridefully resisted the kingdom of God and those who have sought political and religious power for their own advancement. Those are the ones that Jesus responds to with judgment, appropriately so because he is perfectly holy. And nothing about his gentleness takes away from his holiness or righteousness that he responds in those ways. But how does he respond to those who are sinners and sufferers? He responds with gentleness. I love these two words that are used in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where it says, all who labor and are heavy laden. This idea here of labor are those who are constantly trying to get their life together on their own. People who are striving to get ahead, people who are trying to bring stability to their life. Laboring is this intense work to make yourself right with God and others. If you grew up in a religious background where it was constantly about doing things in order to gain favor or gain God's grace, or you're just constantly in life trying to establish yourself before others and prove yourself before others, that's this idea of laboring. Heavy laden is when you suffer because of circumstances that are outside of your control. That you just go through life and it seems like time after time after time things come into life that just cause weight and pain, and difficulty in life. And in those situations, Jesus is not drawn away from those who sin and suffer. He is drawn toward them. And he is drawn toward them with his gentleness, and his grace, and his peace. We imagine that someone who has power, and riches, and glory would stay away from those who sin and suffer. And yet, it is in the very character of God to draw near to us in our moments of sin and suffering. When our arms are just open before him. On what conditions 
do we come before Jesus? Not that we have gotten our life together, but just that we realize how much we need him. And in that book, Gentle and Lowly, I love how Dane Orland puts this. Dane Orland says that when Jesus draws near to his people, he doesn't come holding his nose. Uh, so you think about drawing near to, to a baby uh, who you're kind of doing rock, paper, scissors about who's going to have to go and change the diaper, or you're, you're thinking about drawing near to someone whose life is just really a mess. Sometimes when we think about drawing near to someone who's sinning and suffering, we would draw near but probably holding our nose. Jesus doesn't. Jesus draws near with gentleness and kindness and love. And when he does that, what does he give to his people? Look back in Matthew 11. What does he give? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, Funny enough, that's the word for kindness that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. My yoke is kindness, and my burden is light. What do you find when you draw near to Jesus and he draws near to you? Not permissiveness, not just, hey, go and live however you want, but you don't find condemnation either. You find rest. And friends, you don't need me to tell you this, <laughs> but we live in a world where people are exhausted. They're exhausted physically, but they're exhausted emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually. We, we live in a world where people are absolutely exhausted. And, and we think even about living through this, this COVID time, prepare yourself that when you go through times of difficulty, if you've experienced tragedy in your life, one of the things about tragedy or suffering in life is there's often a fatigue lag, meaning months or even a year later, you'll find yourself just hit with crushing fatigue after a time of difficulty and suffering that, that lags behind. And, and I really feel like that in the year or year and a half to come, our society, our world's going to go through that because of what we've gone through this last year, and there's gonna be a fatigue lag that's going to come with that. We live in a world where people are exhausted, and we can spend all of our time trying to get our lives together, or we come to Jesus and what do we find when we come to Jesus? We find forgiveness and peace and freedom, and we find that Jesus has given himself to us. All that he is, his yoke of kindness and love, is given to those in the middle of their sin and suffering. And that's not just true of, of his life when he was here on earth. It's true of him forever. Look at these verses in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2 says that the high priest, and this is language in the book of Hebrews where Jesus is associated with the high priest in this analogy, the high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And man, who hasn't been ignorant and wayward at times in life? He deals gently with us since he himself is beset with weakness. Now we know from Hebrews chapter four that Jesus was without sin, but he did suffer. He did experience the reality of being fully human. But we also know from Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. How does Jesus feel about us right now? As he is ascended with the Father, reigning forever, how does he feel about us? He is gentle toward his people, which means in the middle of your sin, in the middle of of your suffering, when it can feel like God is turning away from you, his heart is turned towards you. The question in that moment 
is how do we respond to him? What do we do? How do we grow in and experience this gentleness? Let me lay out a couple of things that how can we as the people of God experience and live out this gentleness of Jesus? Here's points number one and two together. So how do we grow in gentleness? Number one, go to Jesus. Number two, see number one. (laughs) All right, those are the first two points. Uh, Number one, go to Jesus and go to him over and over and over again. Turn to the one who is gentle and lowly. Turn away from the striving that exhausts us. Turn away from the suffering that seems to identify your life. Turn away from the sin that haunts you and turn to Jesus who loves you, who loves you with kindness and gentleness and draws us back to him. And in him we find forgiveness and peace and freedom to live out the the life that God has put before us. This quote from Larry Osborne that we use often here at Emmaus, this idea that we have nothing to prove, no one to impress, just Jesus to serve. Because what will erode the gentleness in your life? What will destroy a spirit of gentleness in your life if you are always trying to prove yourself and impress others? If you are always trying to get ahead, always trying to be overbearing, always scheming to look impressive, it will destroy gentleness in our lives but we are called back to Jesus. Turn to him, follow him, not using him for personal agenda. When you come to Jesus, you don't find someone who swaggers. You don't find someone who is overbearing. You find someone who is perfectly gentle in trusting the Father. So point number one, (laughs) go to Jesus. Point number two, just do that over and over and over again, and you will experience incredible growth in your spiritual life. Now, how about living out that gentleness? So number three, proclaim Jesus. We talk in Emmaus about proclaim, display Jesus, proclaim Jesus, speak gently. Uh, And and who at their home over the last few weeks hasn't been able to say that to a child or a spouse or someone, hey, let's just speak gently. I know we're cabin fevered here. I know we're confined to the space, but let's just try to speak gently to one another, that as the people of God, we would be known as those who speak gently. Remind them, Titus 3 says, remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. And then that famous verse from Proverbs 15 that you probably have memorized and, and thought about before, a soft, the word for gentle, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. As the people of God who've experienced the gentleness of Jesus toward us, that our words toward others would be characterized by gentleness. That when we're tempted to speak badly about someone else, especially to make ourselves look good, that we would speak gently. This idea that when we are tempted to be harsh, that we would speak gently that our words would be characterized by courtesy, that we would not speak words that stir up anger, but that we would speak words that bring peace to a situation. And and this matters because of our witness in the world. 1 Peter chapter 3, talking about our witness in the world, in your hearts, set apart or honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So, so defending the faith, apologetic, speaking about the things of Jesus. How should you do this? Do it with gentleness and respect. 
Malcolm Yarnell, who is a well-known uh, Christian scholar and, and author, tells a great story about being invited onto a cable news uh, talk show, and he was going to have a debate with this other scholar who didn't believe in the truth of the Gospels and wanted to add all kinds of other books to, to the Bible, and Yarnell was speaking in favor of the Gospels and the truth of Scripture, and they were going to have this, this debate on this cable news talk show. And Yarnell talks about how when he was on that talk show, in his earpiece, he constantly had one of the producers speaking to him in his ear while he was doing this debate, telling him to rile up his opponent, to, to be controversial, to say something, to raise his voice. And he said he was so shocked to know, number one, he didn't know that on the talk show he was going to be prompted to do this, but the idea that if you were going to have a debate and speak about things of faith, if you weren't controversial, it wasn't going to be impressive to others. And he refused to do that, and he said he was never invited back to be a part of that because he just refused when speaking about things of faith to not be gentle. That if he was going to be defending the way of Jesus, he was going to do it in a way that matched the way of Jesus. And when we have a chance to speak about things of faith, that we would do it with gentleness and respect. And, and remember, Gentleness is not passive and permissive. It's standing up for truth. Think about these next verses. Even correcting one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There are times we have to have hard conversations with one another where we're called to speak the truth in love, but even when we correct even when we deal with difficult circumstances, that we do it in a spirit of gentleness. Second Timothy 2, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. It's good and right to stand up for the truth. It's good and right to pursue justice, but how we do it matters. And, and I guess I should have said, uh, so proclaim Jesus equals speak gently. Uh, proclaim Jesus equals type gently as, as well. This pertains to social media. This pertains to the way that we interact online, that we as God's people, you think about social media and all the things that happen online. The people of God should be known as those who are gentle and kind and patient and peaceful. We are those who speak gently because of how Jesus has dealt with us. So we, we proclaim Jesus, we also display Jesus with our lives. We live in a gentle manner toward people around us. Ephesians chapter four, verse two, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. And then 1 Peter chapter three, a context specifically speaking to women and, and, and particularly women who are living in a situation where the husband is not a believer, where is definitely not providing the spiritual leadership in that situation. How, how do you live in that situation? Do not let your adorning be external. So the braiding of hair, the wearing of jewelry, being impressive with external experience, appearance. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. In a world where women would be tempted to be overbearing and scheming and bitter and constantly seeking their own agenda, what is precious in the sight of God 
a gentle and quiet spirit. And man, that is particularly difficult if you're talking about living in a situation where your husband is not a believer and is not pursuing the things of God, that in that situation, that you would be characterized by a gentle and quiet spirit. And and just so I'm particularly clear on this point, this doesn't mean living under and continuing to endure physical abuse, to endure abuse, that even in the way you respond in that situation with with seeking a place of safety and, and seeking help in that situation, that even in that seeking safety and getting out from under that abuse, you do it in a spirit of gentleness and peace and ultimate trust in the Lord. Look at these verses, next verses, that pertain to leaders in the church. And we think about this as uh, what it would look like to portray this either as a pastor or a leader in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, it is good and godly that we can talk about men taking responsibility and servant leadership and loving. Those are all good and right things. But if we're not careful, we can equate biblical manhood with what our culture thinks of manhood. And in those situations, manhood becomes all about power and authority, and being overbearing, and frankly, just being the opposite of gentle. As the people of God, the men of God, and especially leaders in the church, should be characterized by gentleness. Men, when we think about what it is to be the people of God, the men of God, that we would be characterized as approachable, and warm, and caring, and peaceful, and gentle. That may not look like the picture of manhood in our culture, but, but frankly, that's part of the point, that, that we would look different in the way that we follow after Jesus. And let me just say this as well. When you think about pastors and, and church leaders and think about things that happen out on, on the interwebs and out in the world and out in the world of radio and TV, if a pastor is known for constantly going into controversy and constantly stirring up controversy and constantly being involved in arguments, that's not matching the biblical model of church leadership. That we should be known as those who are gentle, not quarrelsome, not argumentative. Now, stand up for truth, absolutely. Pursue justice, absolutely. But doing it in a way that matches the way of Jesus. Let me show you this final quote from Dane Ortland as we think about this idea of Jesus' gentleness toward us. Listen to this quote here from Ortland. He says, whatever is crumbling all around you in your life, wherever you feel stuck, this remains. His heart for you is gentle and lowly, so go to him. That place in your life where you feel most defeated, he is there, and his heart is for you, not on the other side of it, but in that darkness, he is gentle and lowly. Let me ask you a question. Right now, if you were asked to describe how Jesus feels about you, how would you describe that? So come, someone comes up to you and says, how do you think Jesus thinks about you? How do you think Jesus feels towards you? How would you describe that? He's already described it for you. 
He has said that he is gentle and lowly. That in the middle of our battles against sin, in the middle of the suffering that we face in this world, that he is with us and for us, that he cares us, that he draws us back to himself, and in response to that, we are able to display his gentleness to the world around us. Emmaus, I hope that's true of my life. I hope that's true of us as a church, that we would show a different way, a way that ultimately leads to salvation through Jesus Christ. Let me pray, pray a blessing over us, and we'll get ready to wrap up this morning. Father, thank you for this beautiful piece of scripture in Matthew chapter 11. God, these are verses that, that I go back to so often because I know if I'm not careful, I, I don't rest well. I don't rest well in Christ. I don't rest well remembering that ultimately gentleness is about trusting in you. And so God, I pray for everyone who is listening today God, I pray for our church family that we would be characterized by the gentleness of Jesus. God, that we would speak gently, that we would live gently before others. And God, the purpose, the hope in that is that people would be drawn to Christ. God, that if there are people listening today who maybe their thoughts about Jesus don't match up with what we find in the word of God, Father, I pray that they would come to see how good and powerful and loving Jesus is. That on the cross, that he took their sin and he provides perfect salvation and rest. And God, I pray that there are people listening today who are just exhausted. They're exhausted physically. They're exhausted from caring for those around them. They're exhausted spiritually. God, I pray that they would remember that Jesus provides perfect rest. God, thank you for your gentleness toward us. God, a gentleness that we do not deserve. But God, your grace is so incredible. And so we, we thank you for that. God, we receive that this morning and let us go out changed because of that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Emmaus, if I can pray for you right now, I'll be right down here at the front. I would love to do that. If you're watching online, reach out and we'll get in touch with you as well. God bless you.